Okay, everybody. Okay. All right. Calm down. Relax. We're here. It's us. It's uh, Megan Avery in some capacity and Stephen. It's the Oilers Radio Rick uh, Podcasting Network. It's Oilers Higher Hockey this fortnight. It, uh, that's what it is. So you don't need to worry. It's the thing that you were hoping. My name's Stephen. I'll be one of the people talking at you for a little while. Uh, Megan, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, I'm Megan and I teach high school and, uh, this is a nice break away from all of the work that I have to do. Um, and if you never hear from me again, it's because Steven sent me on a rabbit hole looking at last names and, uh, I may never leave this website. Yep. Uh, so good news. I've taken care of Megan. We've got her busy. You can go back to whatever you were worrying <laughs> she would stop you at. Um, it's cool. Uh, Avery is probably still experiencing technical problems, but we're all going to think of him and hold him in our hearts and brace ourselves for when he spontaneously bursts onto the scene uh, as if a uh, xenomorph out of someone's chest and into the podcast. Uh, but until that moment happens, I'm just going to start talking about the Oilers. Hey, guess what? Steven was right. Or at least that's the way it seems. I probably should not start spiking the football too aggressively. As, um, there's still some problems with the team. But you might remember sometime around a month, uh, over a month ago, a month and a half ago, when the Oilers were uh, one of the bottom five teams in the league, your good friend, Steven. Not because he believes. He doesn't believe. He's not into such nonsense as uh, positivity or uh, loyalty or uh, faith or whatnot. Because he thought the evidence showed that the were a good team. He put $50 on them to win the cup, even when they're at the bottom. And lo and behold, they are a wrecking machine. 8-2-0 and uh, in their last 10. Uh, after winning eight straight, they are now actual... No, they're, they're NHL 500. They're still a game short of real 500 because they lost in overtime. But um, And also, none of the teams ahead of them for the wild card are anything to worry about. The Predators, the Coyotes, the Blues... Uh, they're all teams who you would describe as fine, I guess. Um, so I'm, I'm not worried. The others, uh, we march on. Megan, you said that, nope, they were bad. The badness was going to continue. How do you feel? Do you feel humility? Do you feel shame? Uh, have you learned something about yourself in this world we live in? No, of course not. Uh, I feel no shame ever. What are you talking about? No, I, here's the thing. I still don't think that, oh, hey, we can hear Avery. Look at that. Um, hey. I still think that, uh, there are, like you alluded to, there are problems with the team. Uh, they're nine, five and one at home. They're four, eight, no on the road, which is a problem in a league where you play 50% of your games on the road. Uh, I think they experienced a bit of like the new coach bump and those sorts of things, which is a thing that happens. Um, and I think that, you know, goaltending, which was abysmal is maybe slightly less abysmal. Uh, but I would say that it's not great. Um, and we could probably talk about that for a long time. Um, but no, I think that like they were going to regress a little bit. The line, the roster was has too much offensive power in it to be as bad as they were for that long. But I do think that there are some like significant concerns with the team. Um, and we'll see kind of how that shakes down over the next 20 games or so. I think that is sort of true. I think that the new coaching helped a bit um i don't know how much it was new coach bump versus like i think that uh, woodcroft and manson were good coaches 
Um, but the defense was not working. Uh, it's hard to say how much that was the new coaching came in and instituted some changes, which helped versus some of their key players were injured and not playing or even just playing badly, even if they weren't like, I don't think nurse was injured. He just wasn't playing very well. And then those key players have put it together since then, or got healthy. Like I think both McDavid and Dreisaitl and Ekholm, I said both, I meant all three. Those are three of their five most important players. All three of them were playing hurt. They're all healthy now. They're all playing great. Um, Nurse, I don't think was hurt, but he was playing badly. Bouchard, I wouldn't say he was playing badly, but he certainly had some significant problems with his game. Um, I could go down the list. Pretty much everyone except for Zach Hyman was playing badly. Um, and now everyone is not playing badly. And how much is that the coaching versus like the variance is going the other way? That's an interesting conversation. I don't know. Probably a little of A, a little of B. I think there's no question that the big uh, issue is what you said was the goaltending, which is still not good, but it is not abysmal. It hasn't been as horrendous. And also the shooting has balanced up so that even when the goaltending is bad, we had been winning those uh, those games anyway. Avery, do we have you on the line? Can you comment on these things? You can introduce yourself if you like. I'm sure people have forgotten you by now. <laughs> yes, I am. I am finally back online. I am here. I am in living color, even though it's an audio-only show. I'm having issues trying to get my headphones uh, to work on my laptop as I'm taping here at the Tim Hortons that is adjacent to lovely Rogers Place. You know, it was it was a troubling times, but I've seen it. I've missed this episode of the podcast, and I leave this and leave this show without just one token black person. We we can't have it. We need one, or we're in big trouble with the Biden's woke army. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Avery? You're actually like watching the Oilers. Why? Yeah. Here, actually, I'll, I'll put it a more interesting way. Should yes. Megan feel shame about saying the team <laughs> would stay bad? <laughs> You know what? When this team was was struggling earlier, when they were two and one, it was a fair assessment to have. This team was bad. This team wasn't in a place it needed to be. But now, you know, again, at the same time, though, this team, the team with Connor McDavid, Zach Hyman, Ryan Eugene Hopkins, they were going to figure things out eventually. They're going to get things back on track. But no one saw them being at the absolute worst, being at two nine and one. No one saw that. I definitely think most people knew they'd get better. I don't know. I think the question was how much better because they were clearly getting some breaks. The reason why I always believed in them, it's not because, like I said, it really isn't because I well, I believe in my team or any nonsense like that. It's because I think there were clear explanations for why they were losing so many games and that most of them, you could be confident we're going to go away. You could be at least, if not entirely confident, somewhat confident that the guys who are playing hurt were going to get better. Um, it's possible that playing hurt would make them worse, but I thought, no, no, they'll probably get healthier. I thought the the bounces would start not necessarily going their way, but would stop going against them quite so much. All like they were getting goalied by every team they played. Their their scores just weren't scoring. Um, and sooner or later, that's the PDO was going to normalize upwards. Um, the guys who weren't hurt but were just playing badly like they weren't going to play that badly all year they have established career norms like darnell nurse i we can all agree we say this every time he comes up he's not worth the money but he's not bad he's a good nhl player so he's going to uh was gonna regress back to being a good player um i think in their fancy stats they were getting uh the good shares of the expected goals the only real i think question was 
all the public data showed that their goalies were letting them down. And there was a couple of uh, people who had access to private data, which is typically much better. No offense, public data people. And they're like, no, we swear the private data shows that it's the defense's fault, that their goaltenders are okay. That, I think, is the most interesting thing to get into because since that debate happened, the Oiler goalies have continued to be not good and their defense has gotten better. So I I don't know. I don't know. Megan, does that tell you anything? Or were you kind of following that? I wouldn't say it was a debate because nobody was going back and forth at each other. But Kevin Woodley, who was a guy that I think everyone uh, respects, was every time anyone would give him a microphone, he would was saying, no, no, uh, Jack Campbell is a mediocre goalie. He's not an awful goalie. The problem is the Oilers' rush defense. Is there anything that's happened in the last 15 games that, um, I don't know, changes your mind or, or confirms anything you believed on that one? Um, I think, like, I think there comes, well, I think you mentioned it, like, their their PDO sort of, like, regrets towards the mean, right? Which is is the thing that is going to happen eventually, right? Like, and I think that the thing that's holding the back still is probably goaltending. And again, I haven't watched a ton of games, but I do know like in, you know, they were the last game against the lightning, they were leading and then they lost seven, four or five or whatever it was. I don't know. Um, and that's a goaltending thing more than anything else. But I do think that uh, in terms of defense, maybe, maybe, I don't know if anything's changed in the way the defense is being deployed, but um, there's definitely something looks different, except that what I have noticed about the defense is that every time Evan Bouchard touches the puck, it seems like Jason Greger uh, wants to hunt him into the sun. And I don't understand why. Maybe someone can explain that one to me. Anyway. All right, George. Um, um, shout out to Avery's friend, George. <laughs> <laughs> we should point out that Avery is right now. He, in our chat, he just put that Scott Oak is right beside him. So, uh, yes, that is uh, very true. Yeah. And for Scott some Oak. reason, Avery Man is not getting him in the podcast. So, uh, Avery's, Avery's done. This is his last episode. Wow. Um, <laughs> bitty, Hope you bitty, all have enjoyed the Avery a, experience. He's a bitty person, Megan. I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. If someone, could ex- if someone could explain the Evan Bouchard, like the Jason Greger Evan Bouchard thing, I'd be really great. I'd love to know. Nope. It no, can't be explained. I'm, sorry. No, I, I'll honestly. Sorry, go ahead, Avery. I was going to say, Steven, it, it is a really weird thing because, you know, I totally get how um, I, um, Tyson Berry was, was Jason's guy. But the idea that Evan Bouchard could not take over his role. It could not be that number one power play quarterback. It could not be that elite D-man I could do what Barry did. I just thought that was a very absurd notion that we saw parroted quite a bit. And Evan Bouchard has proved a lot of people wrong that, yes, he can be a power play quarterback and he can be that D-man who is right now on pace for, believe it or not, 97 points. I believe it. And I that that I... Okay, but there's a couple of different things. Maybe I'll I'll start off with the more contrarian take, which is let's be fair that the things that people don't like about Bouchard's game are there. They're not totally pulling them out of nowhere. He does um not always play with a and this is was on his scouting report going back to junior, does not always play with a ton of defensive urgency. Um, there's a pretty big guy, doesn't play bit which i think is maybe uh doesn't matter uh so much but like he he sometimes gives up 10 bell chances just the way he organizes the game that's fair to say 
It is, at this point, I think, beyond argument that you are coming out ahead with him. People who said, no, no, you're coming out behind on the aggregate, uh, That it, I think that's been proven nonsense. I think it helps like crazy that uh, Ekholm is healthy again, because Ekholm, at his best, is one of the better defensive defensemen in the league, I think. like He is just the ideal partner for Bouchard. You could not hope for a better partner. And together, they make a very fierce pairing. Um, so I think some people's eyes are just drawn to the significant mistakes that he makes, and perhaps they don't give him enough credit uh, for the good things he does, which include, by the way, that I was just thinking of this during the Tampa game, the best slap shot the NHL has, certainly the Oilers have seen, possibly the NHL has seen since Sheldon Turek. Um, because the thing that both those guys could do, there was maybe a couple of players who could shoot it as hard or harder, but their slap shot is accurate, hard and they can get it off relatively quickly like i remember zdeno chair for years everyone knew he had the hardest shot but he barely scored because it took him a while to load it up um whereas uh saray uh could just knock that thing out he didn't need that much time to dust it off and neither does bouchard he can like uh that advanced that edge data i think it's called they were um that can measure how many slap shots uh like shots on goal players get of 90 miles per hour or more Bouchard is first in the league, and he's like double who's second in the league. I don't have the, the numbers in front of me. But Bouchard's first in the league by a mile. He is dynamite at getting that shot off. And he's great at moving the puck. And I like Tyson Berry. I think Tyson Berry was over-criticized by a lot of people who, I'll just say, were on the opposite end of the spectrum as, a, as Jason Greger. But the idea that Bouchard couldn't do Barry's job was always nonsense and has been shown nonsense. And I hope the people who made that claim are now feeling uh, humility and ready for growth. Um, Megan, it still seems to me that the Oilers are a, uh, I wouldn't say a flawed team. They're, they're a pretty good team, but like all teams are looking for improvement. But there seems to be, for once, universal agreement on what they need. They need a second-line winger. They need a. They could really use an upgrade on Cody Cece, and they could use a goalie, although there is some argument about what we mean by a goalie. If you were the GM, what would you prioritize, and uh, how how would you go about getting it? Um, well, I think the thing that they need more than anything is a goaltender, right? And like somebody pointed out, I saw it on Twitter this morning or whatever, and it's talking about... Uh, Rollison and then Jim Matheson, I think, was like, Well, they didn't get Rollison until the trade line. I was like, Jim, you missed the points. Uh, what happened that year is they got Dwayne Rollison, and Dwayne Rollison got them uh, through three rounds of the playoffs until he got hurt. Um, sorry if that scars anybody. Um, but I think you gotta, I think the, the main thing you gotta do is find the goaltender. The offense, yes, you need you need that second line winger, you need maybe to you know, show up your, your top six or whatever. But I think you can make do for a while with what you've got. It would be better to get a goaltender sooner. I don't know how. I don't know where from. That's the thing. Uh, I know Jacob Markstrom might be on the block at some point. Maybe so can take him back. I don't know. Anyway, um, but I think uh, you got to get a goaltender sooner rather than later so that the, they've got some time to kind of figure out, okay, now that we've got this piece in place, what's the next priority rather than trying to do like a sort of a patchwork fix for everything. Um yeah. as best you can at the deadline. Jimmy would do well to remember they almost missed the playoffs that year. Um, 
Oh, I recall. I was yeah. sitting in the bar. I turned 23 that year and went out to uh, the bar for my birthday. Shout out to the Thirsty Turtle. Um, RIP. I love that place. And uh, the Oilers played and then the Canucks played like the second Hockey Night Canada game or whatever. And the Canucks had to lose in order for the Oilers to make the playoffs. So as soon as the Oilers game was over, they switched all the TVs to the Canucks game. And then when the Canucks lost, everybody in the bar got a shot. Um, because right. that was how close Something. the others were to not making the playoffs that year. Oh, good golly. I forgot that it was quite that close. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. They do. They need a goalie. I think the Jim is, there's one thing he is uh, at least being close to write about. And Ken Holland this summer basically did not make any big aggressive moves other than he really screwed up the Connor Brown thing, which is a huge problem. But he didn't make any aggressive moves. A lot of people were mad because it's fun when your GM makes aggressive moves. I, this is one of the rare times when I was defending Ken Holland. I thought it made perfect sense for the Oilers to say, hey, look, this team has some holes, but it's, we're going to basically, we're going to wait till January and then we'll make some trades to address the holes because our team is good enough without addressing any of the holes. We're still probably going to be a playoff team. And then the Oilers surprised even most of the most pessimistic people. One of my friends actually in the summer made a very high bet that they'd missed the playoffs. But um, most of the pessimists at least saw them as a playoff team. They got off to just an abysmal start. But they're kind of course correcting, and it turns out that they will be able to, or at least they'll, they'll get a shot at correcting these things. So, well, I don't think they should wait till the deadline. Um, I'm not panicking, I guess. And uh, the eight-game win streak really helps. But uh, I think that that all the data shows that their problem is in goaltending. If they had league average goaltending, they would have, they'd be doing basically even better. That's the most obvious opportunity for improvement. But goaltending is also the hardest thing to find, especially before teams drop out. Like you said, maybe Markstrom's on the block. That is only going to become official if the Flames accept they're not making the playoffs. No one's going to trade you a good goalie if they still think they're in the playoff race. So in order for us to get a goalie, we need teams to officially drop out of the playoff race, and that takes some time. I think by far the most uh, likely goalie is uh, Elvis Merzlinkins out of Columbus. And part of the reason why he's likely is because he's a bad option. He is not a good goalie. He's on a contract that's almost as bad as Jack Campbell's, uh, but he's clearly better than Jack Campbell. He's at least uh, an NHL goalie. The Columbus Blue Jackets are out of the playoffs. Um, and him being on a bad contract is actually what makes him fairly achievable uh, because it's possible that the Blue Jackets are like, well, you know, this guy isn't really the goalie of the future we were hoping for. We might as well dump him for Campbell, save some money on the buyout and get a first round draft pick along the way. Um, he's having a pretty decent season so far this year. He's at nine Oh nine. He's kind of like a career league average goalie. Maybe I'm being a little too hard on him. He was just really bad last year, but uh, that's, that's the guy I expect we'll get because he's so expensive. We won't have to pay someone tremendously to take Campbell's salary uh, because all the other goalies available are fairly cheap. So that, in a weird way, means we couldn't afford them unless the team took Campbell, and we'd have to give probably two or three first-rounders to get anyone to take Campbell. Uh, Avery, what do you think the Oilers are planning on doing with Campbell? Are they just going to ride him into the summer and buy him out, or are, do you think there's a hope that they actually move him? Uh, you know, I think at this point right now, I think in the immediate, in the immediate future, I think Jack Campbell does stay in Bakersfield until the new year. 
I think going forward, I just don't see, unless Jackie is able to turn things around in the AHL, I really don't see a future for him at Edmonton. I do think we do see him being moved um, come this offseason here. And really, it's unfortunate because this is the guy you invested so much money into into being your number one goaltender. You're starting that minder. And time and time again, he has struggled to do that. So I think right now, Campbell stays in the AHL. Maybe they could they circle back in January and see if he can get that truly one final chance. But if he's just if he's again mediocre or not what he needs to be, then yes, I think he will cut their losses come this summer. Yo, definitely. I think that he's I don't think he could possibly be good enough in the AHL that he'll be an oiler next year. I'll put it that way. And he's not been good in the AHL. He started off horribly, and then he kind of pulled it up to not very good. Um, he'll have good games where, like, oh, he stopped 31 out of 33 shots, which looked pretty good. One of the goals was super soft, and uh, that brings his save percentage in the HL up to 880. Like, that's bad. You would absolutely not call that guy up if you weren't already – you wouldn't even consider it. Um, so I think he's – even if he pulls up to being okay, he's definitely getting moved, and that move will almost certainly be a buyout. Uh, I think the question is maybe you can find someone to take him in a trade. Like I've seen a few reports saying they're still trying to trade him, um, which I think would be interesting because he is a terrible contract. How the only way you could trade him is basically if you're taking someone else's bad contract back and maybe we could find a bad contract. That's a little more interesting to us. Um, Gibson, the goaltender in Anaheim is uh has been a bad contract the last three years, but he's having a good season now, or maybe we could swap him to Columbus for uh, Eric Branson is like badly overpaid, but it's easier to hide a depth defenseman than it is a goalie. Um, I don't know. Goaltending is, is clearly the, the main issue, but what about the other two things? How good is Cody CC and do we need to upgrade on him? Avery, I'll go to you first. How good is Cody CC? Do the Oilers need an upgrade on Cody CC? No. Cody Cece this year hasn't been, I mean, he hasn't been the worst D-man. We've seen last year him struggling uh, offensively with Kim to his defensive metrics. But this year, he's just, he's been average. He's been, he's been an average D-man in the blue line. But I still think he's the kind of guy, if you are going to trade somebody, because right now on the back end, you're not going to deal up right Kulak. You're not going to deal Vincent Dearnay or Nurse or any other D-man. He's easy asset, I think, right now in terms of a trade to get somebody back. And I could see a team rebuilding, seeing Cody Cece as a, a veteran that can help their team out through rebuild. So I think if you're going to go anywhere, if you want to get a goalie, get somebody else, I think that is your piece of a Cody Cece to say maybe a, a San Jose or a Columbus or even a, a Detroit possibly. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Cody Cece is okay. I got no bad things to say about him. He's on a very modest contract. He's basically worth the money. However, when you watch this team, so I wouldn't say he's a problem. I would call him an opportunity for improvement. There are players who I think you could get who would match Darnell Nurse's style a little bit better. Just strengthen up that uh, second pairing is, yeah, I'm sticking with opportunity for improvement. Megan, you got any thoughts on Cody Cece and any names in mind for who you might uh, be looking at to to upgrade him? I mean, the problem with Cody CC isn't that he's not great. It's that he's paid too much to do what he does, right? Like if he was making, what's he, three and a quarter, I think, something like that, three and a half. I believe so, if he yeah. was, if he was at like two, the conversation about Cody CC stops, right? Like that's really the issue with him is that he's overpaid. Um, 
the problem that the Oilers have, as we know, is that they are still right up against the cap. So, like, whatever you do, so you get rid of Cody CC, you got to do something. Um, you got you have to make sure that you get rid of him, and then you got to get somebody essentially a little bit cheaper potentially, or then you have to package CC up with something else. So, I don't know what the target is um, because that cap, you know, the the lack of cap room that they have, I think, is going to be a bit of a handicap going forward. So they might ultimately the name that I've seen. CC. The name that I've seen the most people throwing out is Sean Walker out of um, Philadelphia, who's having a very good year. His, uh, again, his public analytics basically have him as just an elite second-pairing defenseman. Um, and he makes 2.6, so it's a little bit less. He's also a UFA. In order for him to officially become available, we need the Flyers to start losing. We need the Flyers to not think that they can make a playoff push, which... To be fair, there are rumblings that they might know that, hey, they're in the playoffs right now. They're not likely to finish in them. And even if they make them, they're almost certainly a first round out. So now is not a great time to hold on to your 29-year-old UFAs. Um, that's only a slight savings, though, CC, And you'd have to be pretty sure that Walker is an upgrade on CC. Um, another name that's obviously uh, very fun is a favorite of many on this podcast, uh, Ethan Bear. Um, he just fit really well with Darnell Nurse. <clears throat> Pardon me. They had a good stylistic match. Um, however, I personally, I'd be surprised if uh, Bear wanted to come back. I don't know. There's in a lot of ways, this is the what they pay GMs the big bucks for is to look at all 31 teams, figure out um, where your it's like I keep using the word opportunity for upgrades are. The more interesting uh, question I think for fans to talk about because this is two players who are both on our team is would you move Brett Kulak to clear a space for Broberg to be an everyday player, or would you move Broberg so he's not wasting in the press box or the AHL? Uh, Megan, uh, Kulak versus Broberg. Um, well, like? I think... Ooh, that's a good... I'm not sure. Um, the Broberg thing is interesting to me because like, I don't know what the deal is. Again, you know, people... There's some people yeah, there's people who are very high on him. There's people who are very, not very high on him. Um, he, his cap hit's not huge. Um, like it's not no, gigantic. Bro yeah. Broker's cap hit is it's tiny. That's the yeah. best argument for him is even if he's slightly worse than, um, than what's his name? The Brett Kulak. He only makes, I think he's, uh, 800, but I can't find here. Yeah, we sent him just, I just, I just looked it up. His cap hit is 863. Like it's really, it's really, really go. low. Which is, you know, Kulak is also not massive. He only makes two seven five, and he's had a very good playoffs the last two mm -hmm. years. Like I'd say, that mm -hmm. deal is one of Ken Holland's better deals. But he's still a third pairing defenseman, and if that's just a great way to save two million dollars and get your uh, stud young defender playing. Well, and that's the thing. And so, what I don't—that's I think the thing that I don't understand about. Um, the thing, okay, so the thing with Broberg is because he's on his ELC and he's an RFA, I assume, at the end of this year, um, just based on what I've heard. If that's the case, then you get to retain him and you you can keep him and and get you know you can get something for it. Whereas with Kulak, I think there's two or three, two more years, two more years maybe on his deal. Anyway, um, so if you want to get rid of him now, is the time either this year or next year is the time to do it, where you can get something in return rather than just like let him walk. Um, and not necessarily get anything in return. I think, I think they have to make a decision if they are willing to 
you know, hang on to Broberg while he's ultimately playing in the minors because that's that seems to be where um where he's the best fit ultimately right now. Uh, if they want to hang on to that and not sort of work to develop uh this higher draft pick that they've got, or do they want to sort of stick with a slightly more veteran uh defense core and then yeah I guess the replaceable guy uh would be Kulak I suppose I don't know I mean that's a tough one I think that's a really tough one um because for whatever reason you know for whatever reason uh Broberg is has not lived up to the expectations that people had for him but also there's that whole like over the he's still young and he's only played this many games and et cetera et cetera so like I don't know if the goalposts are on him Kulak we, you know what you got with him and so maybe that's a little bit easier to to hang on to because you know what you're going to get out of him. I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I don't know what the answer is there. Cause I think that the defense question for the Oilers is more complicated than the needs up front. I think that, uh, I mean, definitely Kulak's a safer bet. He, like I said, he's had two straight regular seasons where he was quite up and down and then two straight, uh, playoffs where he was dynamite. Um, and he's a vet, he's established, he fits the style uh, I think a big part of the question is what Broberg's trade value is. Like I heard some people straight-facedly suggesting we should trade him to Philadelphia for like Morgan Frost. I'm like, yeah, if we can get Morgan Frost for him, I would trade Broberg immediately. But I can't imagine his trade value is anywhere near that high. Um, like I would not give that much. He's 22. Is he 22 or 23? 20, he's 22. 22. Um, but he's still like played 80, 79 games by the age of 22 um, in the NHL. Um, there's certainly nothing about his stats jump off the page at you. He's someone who, yeah, might turn into a decent second pairing defenseman, but that's his ceiling, and I wouldn't say he's a lock for it. Uh, Avery, do you have any impression that he's got a high trade value? Like a comparable player, I'd say, is Kalen Addison. <laughs> who uh, got traded for like a fifth and a bump. Someone who was uh, his age, had a comparable number of NHL games, I guess was drafted in the second round, not eighth, but had way more points. So I don't know. What do you think Broberg's trade value is? Honestly, I still think there's a little bit of an unknown Philip Broberg because one of the big things that's really that's really hindering him is the fact that he doesn't play much here. Like he's not playing a ton of NHL level and teams need to see you play to get a gauge really on you. And they, I mean, he's playing, he's playing AHL level, but NHL level, he has not played that much. So it's really tough for me. I mean, one good thing is that he's praised for his mobility. Like Matisse Ekholm talked about his skating being better than his and like enjoys him being able to move the puck. But to get a true gauge on Broberg, he's got to play more than eight, nine minutes a night. It's tough. So I really don't know what true value is because we don't see him play all that much NHL level. Yeah. It's it's I do think that really makes it hard for us to say. It's not like we're watching him. I'm just reading, you know, Bruce McCurlock say, Oh yeah, he's playing great. I'm like, well, hopefully he is playing great. Um but uh, I don't know. It's tough. Uh I don't know what else can we talk about? Connor Brown, that's I'd say the jury's more or less in on that. That at the very least he's overpaid because let's uh, let's say that the thing that his defenders are all saying is, Oh, he just had a serious enter. En- pardon me, serious injury. We're paying him for, you know, when he turns it on as of game 40 and uh, hits the playoffs with some stride. That's what we want. To which I'll say, sort of, kind of, fair enough. If he's, like, Connor Brown, historically, for his career, is exactly what the Oilers need. Um, But you don't give a guy $4 million if you think it's going to take him a whole season to struggle and uh, be no good. 
Um, I will say this. I, I don't think there's. Sorry, go ahead. I just looked up some just their stats because you know points are exactly how you can tell if a player is good. Adam Earn makes seven hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, and he has the same amount of points uh, as Connor Brown in half the games. Just saying, and I mean, which is easy to do because it's one point. But what's really interesting is uh, when you look at sort of yeah that salary and like the bonuses and all of the things that go with Connor Brown. Um, there was way better way to uh, spend that money. Um, oh yeah, he's just straight up not worth the cap. My problem with Connor Brown is he's not worth the cap. It also he's clearly been bad so far this season. But the idea that he might get good between now and March is at least believable. Um, but uh, he, he's been bad. Like he's, I, I keep saying bad. His fancy stats were good for the first ten games. He just wasn't scoring. They've all gotten worse um, since then. It's uh, it's taken him some time to to find his sea legs again. He was kind of interested in Thomas Tatar yesterday. He got traded uh, within the conference. Uh, uh, the the Avalanche shipped him. I think that's actually with the, within the Div. So they clearly weren't worried about that kind of thing. They shipped him to Seattle for a fifth. I think the Oilers could really use Thomas Tatar. He's having a middling season, but I don't think he's having a bad season. We could use a middle six winger with some scoring touch who also he's not, he doesn't have a history of being like a defensive black hole. He actually had fantastic play driving in uh, Montreal, but he's like, he's maybe he's getting up there. You don't want to rely on him too much, but he's getting paid like $1.6 million. The tricky part with the, the only reason why I'm not furious about it is like, I, I don't know where we, how we clear the space, even for that relatively modest $1.6 million. And if you're going to start to go to the trouble of clearing the space for uh, Thomas Tatar, maybe you just get someone better. Um, same thing with like Jacob Vrana was another guy who I have wanted in the past. He's just in the middle of a bad season. He costs 2.6. I would love to roll the dice on him, but those basically those are just moves that you make in the summertime. I do see the argument that if you're making a December trade, December, January trade, you need a surer thing than either of those two guys. They're both a little bit of like, well, maybe they work here, maybe they don't. Um, Avery, would you have had any interest in Vrana or Tatar? Uh, Thomas Tatar, he's a name we've seen. He's a name that we've seen bandied by Edmonton for quite some time. It isn't the first time we've seen his name get talked about in, in coming to Edmonton. He's like the modern-day Drew Stafford. Where every year yeah. Drew Stafford's name is always in the mix to be an Oiler, but Thomas Tatar, he's someone where Thomas Tatar, he's had multiple seasons of thirty or more points. He has a career high of sixty-one points. I know he's not what he was in Montreal, but I still think he's—I still think he can be a serviceable forward in, in an Oilers top nine forward core. I totally agree. I really like him. Like I would have happily given you a fifth. The hard part is salary. Is the Oilers are. We're a cap team. We're in that, as uh, you know, the the big guy loves to say, we're in that um, dollar in, dollar out mode. I don't know. Like, let's say we outbid and give a fourth. Okay, sweet. We got Thomas Tatar. I guess we could send down James Hamblin, who's been fine, but not so good. You have to keep him up there. Well, that only gets us halfway there. We need to clear another $800,000. Okay, I guess we could uh, send down Sam Gagne, but I've, Kind of like Gagne here. Um, could send down Al- or Adam Ernie, uh, but now we're like still, we're just right at the cat. Like it could be done, 
And I would have definitely, I probably would have done it if I'm being totally honest. Like, I, I think I just liked Tatar's game. I, like I said, I think he would have worked. Um, but I'm not furious they didn't do it because, I, like, he's just in the maybe he'd work, maybe he didn't. And if we're going to go to all this trouble, why don't we get aim a little bit higher? Um, Jacob Rana, I actually would say I would not have done that one as he is more money. He costs 2.6. And he's in the middle of a terrible season. Uh, he seems like he would fit well with Dreisaitl and just that he's an elite finisher. That's kind of all he does is is finish chances. Other than that, he's a defensive black hole. But uh, he, I don't know, three different organizations have watched this guy score goals and said, ah, no thanks. It's not one old hockey man who doesn't like him. It's three different teams are like, eh, he's just uh, not worth the whatever he what he brings to the table is just not worth what he's taking off, whether that's defensively or something else. Uh, so I'm fine with them um, passing on Vrana, even though some people on Twitter liked him, and I definitely would have taken him this summer. Um, I don't know, though. Oilers were just winning a bunch of games. All you can really say is uh, Stuart Skinner clearly needs uh, help as he's playing, like, at best a 1B. Um, other than that, I don't think there's a ton of controversy surrounding uh, the Oilers. Megan, are there any Oilers issues we haven't touched on yet that you were hoping to touch on? I don't think so. No, I don't think there's anything uh, that stands out for me that we've missed. Um, Avery, are we missing any obvious Oilers points before we go around the league? Uh, I don't believe so. No, I think we've got most um, Oilers topics here. All right then. Uh let's uh let's go around the league a little bit. I don't know, it hasn't been like a super action-packed uh, couple of weeks. Um I thought it was uh fun. Did you guys see uh Jacob Chickren go off with the Dallas Stars players last night during the Stars Senators game? Yeah, I did, and then I saw on Twitter today that uh he was told by their like training staff to go get stitched up because he's got a big cut on his face. Yeah, it turns out there was, it, he just went off the ice with the home team because they had the doctor and he needed stitches. It made perfect yeah. sense. It was just very funny, especially because he went in the middle of their lineup. It's not like he yes, waited not, and used their the door. Or the guy off or, or the last guy off. Yeah, he was like right in the middle. And yeah. it's just funny because people yeah. are like, oh, he's tired of playing here now too, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Yeah. The Senators, I, they're getting in some ways a bad rap because they played those European games. So they're only at... Uh, the 25 games they are seven games behind no sorry a maximum of six games behind some of the teams they're chasing but that's still quite a few games but even if they were to win all six um then they would actually take that back if they were to win all six they'd be in a, a wild card but they would need to win all six they if, if they go 500 the they will just be another middling team i don't know i think that the east is just a lot better than the west like the worst teams in the west are Chicago, Anaheim, how the mighty have fallen. Um, they were briefly looking better. Uh, Chicago, Anaheim, San Jose. Uh, those are three terrible teams. All want to be bad uh, this year. And then we have Minnesota, Seattle, Calgary. All teams, I think, who had aspirations, but there's something seriously wrong with their team. That's not just bad luck. Then the Oilers, who we've already talked about. And then the Preds, Coyotes, and Blues, who I think are all kind of... Uh, just middling mediocre teams two of those teams are going to make the playoffs i don't know if any of those teams with the exception of the oilers are clearly better than the sabers senators red wings most two of those 
teams, maybe all three are going to miss the playoffs. I'd say it's likely all three miss the playoffs because I, mm-hmm. I think the Hurricanes and the Lightning are going to take the two available wild card spots in the East. And I didn't even mention the Pittsburgh Penguins. So good golly, the, the East is pretty solid. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a question on that. I'll be honest. I don't. Has there been? What am I missing? Is there something we should be discussing, Avery? I talked about all the issues I had. Uh, in terms of issues, there's no real NHL issue. I just, you know, I do find interesting how, uh, what's the old saying, how time waits for no one. It, it's interesting to see now how the Capitals and the, and the Penguins are now back to being teams struggling against the, post, the playoffs like they were before the days of Crosby and Ovechkin. Like, it's interesting to see how they have fallen completely off and they are now, they're now the tail end in which their fall off has been pretty hard right now. Yeah, true. Hey, I have something to tell you about. I took a slap shot off the uh, ankle last night and it hurt. And I feel like a real champ because I still got player of the game. And you know who awarded me player of the game in my beer league? The teammate that I admire the most, myself. It was my (laughs) night to choose our team's first star and I chose me in a loss. So you were that me? It was a gutsy call and I made it and good for me. And are you the, the real question is are you still on the team? Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't cut okay. cut the guy who just won player of the, the game. That's I mean you, you can you can cut the guy who gave himself player of the game. That's uh, true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe if uh you know if I ever slip up and have a bad game, maybe I'll be on the chopping block. But you know, that day just hasn't uh actually I missed the net several times. It was pretty gutsy <laughs> wow. call on my part. Um, the thing I would like to talk about, uh, which I think we've touched on before, uh, is even though the Penguins are pretty bad this year thus far, um, I don't mm-hmm. know. Sidney Crosby is um, having an incredible season at age 36. And like in yeah. a way that I, the, in a way that, you know, I, I think it's it's almost being like overshadowed because the team is so bad. Um, but like he has been really really good this year um yeah, no on a doubt. level he's... that i that i don't know that people can necessarily like appreciate all that well like he scored 17 goals uh in 28 games and uh it's just like he's obviously a little bit slower than he used to be and like you know his game's changed a bit but he's still like it's absolutely incredible watching him uh do the thing and i don't know like this is one of the best starts to a season he's had in a really long time uh and it looks great oh almost entirely even strength. Like the most confusing thing about the Penguins is that you say like they're bad. Their problem is pretty much all their specialties. They, (laughs) their, their power play is awful. And you would think that a power play with Getzel, Crosby, Malkin and Carlson would be the safest bet in the world. Like no matter how bad the rest of the team is, at least that power play will click. The power play is the thing that's not clicking. Um, I haven't watched enough of their games to be able to say why, but maybe I'll start because I think I think the Penguins are the most interesting story in the league right now, just in like how are they combining Carlson and Latang? It seems to be working better than the Carlson Burns uh combo did. Um, but that's in like I said, at five on five, their power play is a disaster. I wonder, I'm just spitballing ideas. I don't uh, haven't been watching, I'm not making this claim. Maybe uh Carlson is 
needs to be like clearly the guy. Maybe they should put Latang back on power play one and then go back to whatever structure they had for years that worked pretty well. And um, because Carlson doesn't, Mm-hmm. Not that he doesn't play well with others, but that uh, he isn't taking advantage of elite teammates because he spent the last decade as the only, not quite the last decade, but the last few years as the only elite teammate he had. So he had to create everything for himself. I don't know. How is this possible? How is this possible that the power play is what's holding them back? Because they're even getting goaltend. Almost mm-hmm. every other team that's a huge disappointment, it's a one-word answer of why. Oh, the goaltending. The goaltending's been bad. Minnesota, the goaltending's the problem. Um like that St. Louis goaltending hasn't been that good. It, it's Edmonton. The goaltending is the problem. Uh, the disappointments. That's usually the main reason, but Pittsburgh's getting it. Holy crap. I just realized the devils are also out of the playoffs, man. The East is so much better than the mm-hmm. West. It's wild. Yeah. I don't know what's happening in Pittsburgh. There is something, it's just interesting to watch. Like they're not bad. Like they're still playing over 500. Um, and like actual 500. Right. Um, so like, I don't know. It's, oh, it's they are out of the playoffs. But oh no, I mean they're in seventh place in the division. Like they are far out of the playoffs. So yeah, if we're looking at that, like they're 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 sitting at twenty nine points in twenty eight games, which puts them over five hundred, and uh, that means that you know teams that are over five hundred are going to miss the playoffs in the East if this sort of trends that way. But yeah, it's interesting. Like Crosby's having a good season. And you're right; they're getting goaltending. Carlson's off his pace from last year, and I think partially what you said is true. Whereas when he was in San Jose, especially last year, he was the guy, right? And so he scored a hundred and whatever points last year. Um, because he was doing it all by himself, right? And because he could. And now that there's other guys, he doesn't have maybe the same like open ice that he would have had um, in San Jose and that sort of thing. And so who knows? But yeah, they're just an interesting story to kind of watch because it looks um, at, on the surface they should be like right up, right up top. But somehow the New York Rangers are at the top of the Metropolitan Division, which is the thing I just learned about right now because uh, I had no I idea. I think that Rangers. Thing. Are the only team in the Metro that currently has a playoff spot that's going to make the playoffs. I think the Rangers are good. I'm not thrilled with their GM. I think he could have made them better, but you know, whatever. They're good. Uh, the Islanders, I think, are okay. They're, I mean, full credit to them, I guess. They're winning their games, but they've also just got a minus four goal diff. And that's usually the best way to predict how the future is going to go, is just glance at the goal differential. I think the Flyers uh, don't have it. Um, I don't think the Red Wings have. Basically, I just think that the Hurricanes and the Lightning and the Devils are all going to make the playoffs. And that means that uh, three of the Islanders, Flyers, uh, and Red Wings, I guess I ever said the Hurricanes, they're currently in them. Um, I don't know if any of those teams are going to make the playoffs. I think the Penguins could catch those teams. Heck, I know Sabres fans who the Sabres are behind the Penguins and they're pointing out, hey, we're actually pretty close. We're only a few points out ourselves. Um, they're dreaming, but, uh, I don't know. I'm just, I, I, I find myself repeating myself, but I think pretty much every team, uh, in the East, other than the Habs or the Blue Jackets has an outside shot at the playoffs. The senators don't be fooled. They've only played 25 games somehow. Um, right. They don't really have a shot, but they've got more of a shot than the Sabres do. So. Yeah, B- uh, Buffalo still yeah. not playing these games. Very strange. Like Buffalo was a team I wrote about last year as a team that was going to be on the rise this season, and for whatever reason, they have a, a good, they have an okay year. We think they're turn around, and then they crater the next year. It's very baffling, and we're going on. We are close. We are ever so close to creeping on 15 seasons 
of no Sabres hockey. I think they, they missed for three more years. They shouldn't, but that's a real thing in play now. And from, I'm, I'm a Sabres fan. I'm thinking to myself, what do we have to do to make the playoffs? Because this is a playoff streak right now that is pure, pure and simple embarrassing. Yeah, man, that's crazy. And everyone thought this was their year because they were pretty close last year. Um, and they are just stock full of young talent. Uh, what is holding them back? Like, they're not getting fantastic goaltending, uh, but they're not paying much for it. Uh, some of their young guys are playing better than others. I'm just glancing at their lines. I don't know. They still look like a team who's one year away from being incredible. Um, I think they need a better right-handed defenseman. Uh, I argued with a Sabres friend of mine recently. I said that that's where Ethan Bear should go. And he's like, no, we already have eight third-pairing defensemen. We don't need another one. Uh, I think he's a clear-cut above Yoki Haru, Clifton, and um, what's his name? The old former Eric Johnson. Uh, but maybe he's not. Also, he's coming off a big injury. Maybe he's got a Connor Brown year in him where he needs to take 40 games to, to get his legs back. And so, I don't know. Who knows? What is the problem with uh, the Sabres? Why why can't they quite put... I think the one of the most underrated things in the NHL, and this gets proven by pretty much every team, is how hard it is to transition from bad team to good team. Uh, everyone knows, oh, hey, our team is only middling. What they ought to do is tank, and then they'll get the elite players. I think that is still broadly true, but almost everyone underestimates how difficult it is to say, okay, we're out of the tanking phase. We're going to become good now. Uh, that's really hard to do. Well, the problem with the Sabres, the- I'm just looking at their roster. The problem with the Sabres is it's like a bunch of guys. Uh, for the most part, that's like their big fundamental problem. Like they don't have anybody really um, who's, you know, putting the team on their back and being like, all right, let's go. Like, uh, Paige Thompson did last year. He did last year, but he, he certainly hasn't this year. year. I know, but he certainly well, he's, this year has been pretty middling. Um, and I know plus minus is a bad stat to like, you know, but when you look at yeah. if you're looking at like their top scores and stuff, when you're uh, when two of your top scores uh, and you've only got four guys who scored more than 20 points, you know, Jeff Skinner's got 22 points and he's a minus six and Rasmus Stellian's got 25 points and he's a minus eight. Again, I understand why plus minus is problematic, but it's an easy thing to look at. It's kind of like looking at team goal differential for like a quick sort of glance into things. Yeah. When you've got four guys who've scored over 20 points and then everyone else is like in the low teens and below, that's where the problem is. Um, yeah, that's pretty fair. Cause you look at guys like Jeff Skinner and Tage Thompson probably be, and Alex Tuck, all of whom are having, fine seasons they're all on pace for like about 60 points um which is pretty fine uh but it's not great and all those guys were lighting it up last year so if you're um if your good players are only playing all right i guess um, the real answer is that they don't have a goaltender who's gotten them over 901 that's the real answer that's the big problem uh, yeah. Pekka Lukonen is, uh, Lukonen's got he's got a 901 save percentage and uh, Devin Levi's at 898 and Eric Commerce played seven games, and he's got an 863. That is, I think that's the fundamental issue. Yep, no, totally. If you're if you're not getting league average goaltending, then um, which league average I think this year is 909, uh, then you better be really good in some other area. And they 
they certainly aren't good enough to make up for it. However, I think it is instructional that the Sabres are getting about 900 goaltending and we're pointing at it and saying that's why they are uh, a bottom 10 team. And the Oilers starting goaltender is 885. And mm-hmm. uh, we still won eight of our last nine. So mm-hmm. I well, like but the, the difference, Yeah, but that's the difference, right? Is you've got the two guys on top in Buffalo each have 25 points. The Oilers have five guys who've got more than 25 points so far. Connor McDavid has 40. Mm-hmm. Dry Saddle is scoring at a merely human you know, pace. Yeah. Uh, he's only got 33 points in 27 games. So like, there's a big difference. Um, there's a big difference there. And so the Oilers can outscore their bad goaltending most of the time. Um, and mm-hmm. then you get a game like against the lightning where they just, you know, he, it wasn't even bad goaltending. It was just, I don't even know what happened there. Um, Stamkos just picked his spot four times, I guess, you know, and uh, sometimes, sometimes you just get some bad luck, but the, the Sabres just don't seem to have the ability to outscore that 900 goaltending, whereas the Oilers weren't able to do it to start, but now they've kind of figured that out a little bit. Yeah. They're certainly putting it together now. Um, yeah. And that is why uh, I, if I could only fix one thing as much as I think they could use a second line winger, uh, they could really use, an even better defense, then I think they'd really be cooking. But, uh, you know, it's the the idea that, no, what they really need is a goalie. Yeah, sure. Uh, that is mm-hmm. clearly their number one need. I just, I don't know which one they get. Like I said, Verslinkus makes the most sense. I think Mackenzie Blackwood is probably doable because uh, San Jose is one of the few teams who I think would be quite happy to be incentivized to take uh, Campbell. We just have to overpay them for it. Um, but how good is Blackwood? Eh, he's okay. Like you said, Markstrom might be available. Gibson might be, those are two more expensive guys, but I don't think either of those dudes are that reliable either. Um, they're just more expensive. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know that like people keep using the the word Dwayne Rolson. Like when's he going to make that Dwayne Rolson move and get a good team, a good goalie. I don't see a good goalie available. I think there's some okay goalies available. But I don't know. The only good one that is maybe available was uh, UC Soros. But yeah, it looks like the Predators are going to hang on to him. They're in a playoff spot right now, so I can't imagine they're trading him anytime soon. You could probably get both Washington and uh, Nashville as a pretty good backup, who I think would help us. But those guys are so cheap, they're not going to take $4 million of cap. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what the solution here is. I don't know either. Oh, Avery, you got any other? That... Yeah. Avery, you got any other NHL things going on? Oh, that you I like do want to address. I do want to point out. Um, it stinks that the Capitals, Washington Wizards, are planning to move to Northern Virginia and leaving downtown core in DC. I cannot stand more of these sports teams leaving accessible areas and areas chock full of black people for the suburbs to appease their rich, their rich fan base. And tell anybody else downtown, oh, you're, if you're not affluent, oh, if you're not well off, we don't want you. Bye. Ah, I, uh, I I didn't even consider the politics, but uh, I will say I super agree because it's a pain in the ass to get to flare-flung arenas. Like mm-hmm. all my Ottawa-based friends are like, yeah, the reason why that team doesn't sell more tickets is because it's not in Ottawa. It's like in the equivalent of uh, Stony Plain. So that's really far away. Who wants to drive that far? That is a major hassle. Um, I know. Um, especially... Sorry, go ahead. 
so I was just thinking about the Ottawa thing. A friend of mine used to live in Ottawa years ago. And basically, whenever went, you know, was going to a hockey game, had to make sure that he was on like the shuttle bus back into the city right away. Otherwise, it was like such a complicated like public transit journey to get back to where he lived. And so like, to me, that seems sort of silly. I was looking at the map in, uh, in DC too. Someone posted, like put a picture of like their metro map. And basically, if you live west or south um, of Washington, D.C., you have to, like, take the subway into the city to get on the right line to get south to where this new arena is going to be. Um, even though if you were driving, it would be way quicker just to drive. But lots of people don't drive because they've got such good transit. But because this thing is going to move so far out, then it's going to it's going to make um it's going to make access so much more difficult for people who are relying on transit to get, um, to get anywhere. Yeah. I'm extra confused by that one. Again, obviously I don't know anything about uh, DC area, anything, but um, I remember when shortly after they got Ovechkin, they, that was probably a large factor, but they really started selling out. And one of the main explanations I kept reading was like, oh, they moved arenas to somewhere really convenient. It's downtown. It's where people want to be, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I kind of remember Washington getting thrown out as one of the arguments for an ice district. Well, look how well it's 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 working in Washington. Like, arenas were coming in from the suburbs where they were mostly being built in, like, the early 2000s, like that Kanata example. They're moving in from the su- suburbs to the city core. And now Washington's like, now nah, we're going to go back to the suburbs? Um it seems like a terrible idea to me. And uh, people seem mad about it. Yeah, it's it's not great. Um it's not it's not a great plan, I don't think. Um, but you know, people with money are gonna do what people with money are gonna do, you know. I suppose you've got us there. All right, well, I think we've uh talked to all the hockey this fortnight. We uh need to talk. Um, Avery. The only hockey that we oh, didn't wait. talk, actually, I just had a thought. Uh, Avery and I were sort of talking about this yesterday. Uh, oh, the yeah. PWHL released their merchandise, um, and it's terrible. It's like objectively oh, yeah, awful, and it's so disappointing. Like this is the... what happens. Go ahead. Like this is what happens when now. Don't get me wrong. I want this league to succeed and do really well, but when you launch a league without team names and team logos this is what you get a bunch of generic gear that is mad overpriced like a great example the the hoodies from montreal and minnesota are literally i'm not kidding of the exact same font and style that is terrible yeah i um i don't know the pwhl is not something i don't think that anybody wants to rag on but it seems like they've not done a lot right so far. Like in many ways, they're trying to do something that's difficult and they're not putting themselves in a good position to succeed while they do it. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it seems like I get what they're doing and I understand you got to have, you got your six teams in there and locations that are easy. Like Minnesota is kind of like the outlier, but it's not really that far away. Um, So they're easy. The locations are easy to travel between, and stuff like that and that's fine um but yeah like the merchandising at the very least if you're not going to have team names and you're just going to have like you know 
PWHL Ottawa or whatever, at the very least, the merchandise should be color coded because I think the Montreal colors are really like that maroon, I think is really nice. Um, and what they could have done is instead of having um, everything look the same, like same colors, they could have like done a little bit different because I think every team's got their like base color, but then also like this beige thing that all of the teams seem to have. And then the Minnesota Montreal thing becomes a problem. And also their stuff is so expensive. Like it is absurd how expensive the hoodies are. They're like $90. And there's also questions about like size inclusivity because the manufacturer has like more inclusive sizes than what the PWHL teams are selling on their sites and all this kind of stuff. So there's like a bunch of issues and it's just feels like a, a real big unnecessary bump in the road for a league that's trying to get things going. But on the other hand, they released tickets for the season openers for all six teams and they're all basically sold out. Well, that's so good to hear. There's that too. Yeah. And, and Ottawa's only not sold out because they keep just adding more seats. Um, Cause I can't remember where it is they're playing, but they've got, it's a, it's a much bigger arena, I think than the other ones. And so they've got some space where they can open up more sections, but all of the other teams I think are sold out. And I think Toronto is sold out for all of their home games. Um which is promising. I think that's good. But the merchandising leaves a little bit uh, to be desired. Well, yeah. I'm sure that uh, graphic designers are going to yell at me for saying this, but the lack of logos, just the lack of design, I find galling. How hard? It's just not that hard. Like, it's Maybe it's hard to nail it, or maybe you need to upgrade it again next year. But you just draw a dragon or whatever. Like we call like <laughs> one team the the Riveters and uh, another team the Amazons. And like you, I feel like you could bang out a pretty functional idea in forty five minutes. Um, like that's the easy part. There's harder parts where you actually need to know your way around business. But just like hey, let's name the teams and come up with a cool logo. Like you can get a twelve year old to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the fact that like you like this is a professional league. You don't see professional leagues launch and there's no brand entity for any team i understand that yes this this league you know they're they're building a league in six months but getting a brand identity for every team to connect with your markets that is a must-have you cannot go into a year in which you are running with six six city names and no actual brand name to this team you can't do that indeed indeed so that's Um, also, the prices are just like stupid. I'm just looking at the website right now. Um, the oh, the thing that's the most reasonably priced anywhere is uh, the mug. You can get a PH, a PWHL coffee mug for 16 bucks, and like for branded mugs, that's pretty that's pretty standard. Or a puck for like 12 bucks. Um, but like the long sleeve t shirts are 70 dollars. The crew neck sweatshirts are 110 bucks. Like that's right. a lot of money. A lot of money, no two ways about it. Uh, and the jerseys start at like one fifteen, so like they're not even like I don't know. If I was going to spend the money, I'd rather get a jersey over uh, anything else, just because um, that seems like a better deal. If I was going to, but the jerseys aren't available yet, so they're coming soon. I don't know. the The release of this has been suspect, but the stuff is super expensive. And I know there's only six teams. I know it's a small fan base. Like I get why, um, but a toque for fifty dollars? Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, now that's been hockey this fortnight. So uh, thanks, everybody, for this. Unless it, I, I skipped it again. 
Highly personal questions. Did anybody have any highly personal questions? I don't have anything controversial, but I do like to ask. It, it, you know, today is December the 16th, which means that uh, uh, Christmas is coming up right away. Um, is there a particular, like, Christmas time tradition that you do that, like, other people think is kind of strange, but for you, this is just, like, how the Christmas, part of the Christmas season just goes? Um, I really hammer Christmas music. Uh, that's that's pretty much it. I can get quite um, fixated on what I want to hear, I guess. So no, not really. No, I don't think anybody think, would think that's strange. I know some people get annoyed with Christmas music, but that's probably the closest for me. Um, I get the impression that there's an answer that you have in the chamber. Uh, no, not really. It's just, no, because my Christmas is very small. It's just me and my parents. And like, it's a very like quiet thing. But the thing that I do... Um, that's like my normal thing is on Boxing Day for breakfast. I always uh, have some mashed potatoes and some stuffing and some gravy and I mix it up um, and eat it out of a bowl with some like flaky salt on top. And that's like the thing I look forward to almost more than anything else about Christmas is like the leftovers from Christmas dinner as breakfast the next day. And apparently some people think that's weird. That's kind of weird, but. Not in like a problematic way. Well, no, let me think. The leftovers, no. I take it back. I know a lot of people who love the leftovers. Nothing weird about that at all. But like we don't do a family Boxing Day breakfast or anything like that. It's because because of me. Because I want to eat stuffing and mashed potatoes. And my mom thinks it's absurd. Um, but I'm 40 now. So what's she going to do about it? You know? Yeah, she's not the boss of you. It's true. Avery, what about you? Uh, I don't really have any real traditions. Christmas is a thing that's like, it's more like a, yeah, whatever day I'm doing with my, my mom and my grandparents. But if, if you, if you did beforehand, what I learned that my friends do, as I have some friends of mine whose in-laws are from Newfoundland um, on December 23rd, they have a thing called Tibbs Eve, which is like their, their party, which they have. I went one year and it was very interesting. And I learned that on Tibbs Eve, there's like this mythical, like a person um, runs around like a, a, a sheet with the eyes cut out of it, they run around and like a mummer. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Imagine my surprise seeing that for the first time in this figure in the bathroom as a black person. Imagine <laughs> that. This hood. Let me and tell you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. So they had to explain to me what this was, why this person had eyes cut out of a hole. And she like that, that. That to me is a little bit jarring, and I wonder why. Is, I that explains to me why this was a thing. Because if you go into the wrong home dressed like that, there's gonna be problems. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, man. As a white person, I was like, "What the hell is this? Yes, that, what do you mean, that. you old? Yeah, no, it's the uh, the Mummers Parade. Very common. Um, not. I shouldn't say very common. Uh, very known around the world. They did not invent it. That's I believe they do that in Scotland also, like it's old Highland tradition. Uh, but yeah, that sure stood out to me as well. <laughs> yes, that's and yeah. so funny. But yes, that was an, it's an it was an interesting evening learning about that. And yes, the rest of the, the rest of the house during the party got very drunk, and it devolved into um, them having a leg wrestling tournament in the kitchen, which ended when somebody got thrown headfirst into the oven. Nice. Ah, uh, Tibbs Eve, that takes me back. 
Um, yeah, that's actually, no, I, I, I didn't have really like a controversial answer in the chamber. I'm just always, I always like to know what people do around this time of year, you know, cause there's like very different, very different ways that people celebrate. And I'm always just curious to know like what, uh, what people, what people do, you know, that's all. That's a good so one. now I know if we show up at Stevens house, it'll just be Christmas music all the time. Uh, and at Avery's house, uh, wear weird clothes and go to the bathroom and he'll be, he'll be very afraid. That's what I've learned from this little session here today see learn something new every day important thing to learn yeah um i don't have anything else you got anything else nope i think that's uh that's a bunch of hockey it is a bunch of hockey well then uh well done everyone this has been hockey this fortnight we've been avery and megan and steven Wishing you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and a solemn and dignified Ramadan. Um, and a Quasi Kwanzaa. That's the one I missed. Uh, that's the Simpsons <laughs> quote. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Merry Christmas and happy holidays and all of those things. And we'll be back uh, sometime in the next two and a half to three weeks. Yep. Yes, we will. God willing. <laughs>